You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 24. In today's Tidbit Tuesday, we're going to chat about high dynamic range, what it is and how to deal with it so that you don't end up with an overly underexposed or overexposed image. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hey everyone, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Before we dive into today's topic, I wanted to share a comment from a listener who provided a really important clarification on episode 15, which was about how to safely explore the outdoors. In that episode, Courtney Harvey, who is a wilderness first responder, gave us a ton of excellent information about how to be safe out in nature including a few tips for your canine companion. It's an episode really worth listening to if you haven't already. But one thing she said that needs a little clarification is that she mentioned you can give hydrogen peroxide to dogs to induce vomiting if they have consumed something they shouldn't have. One of our listeners, Mark, who is a veterinarian, wrote in to say that while hydrogen peroxide is often used to induce vomiting in dogs, Depending on what the dog has consumed, you may actually not want to induce vomiting because certain chemicals or foreign objects may be more damaging if they come back up. So Mark supports Courtney's recommendation that you should have your vet's phone number handy. He also suggests having a local emergency pet hospital phone number with you and a pet poison control hotline, such as the ASPCA poison control line, which you can find at 888 888- 426-4435 or the Pet Poison Helpline at 855-764-7661. And I'll put this information in the show notes. He also pointed out that hydrogen peroxide should never be used to induce vomiting in cats. So thank you, Mark, for taking the time to share those important details with us. And now let's get to this week's listener question. As you know, I enjoy hearing from you. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on Tidbit Tuesday, you can record it by clicking the link in today's episode description or on the Outdoor Photography School website. Or if you prefer, simply email me your question at brenda at outdoorphotographyschool.com. All right. So today's listener question is a write-in from Carl. Carl asked, how do you go about managing dynamic range in a scene, particularly when you're shooting towards the end of the day? Do you use spot metering and take a reading for the highlights? Do you use ETTR and would you consider ND filters and or bracketing? Thank you, Carl, for this great question. High dynamic range scenes like sunrise, sunset, or any backlit scene for that matter, definitely present some challenges when it comes to exposure. And I have a few tips on how to approach such situations to avoid over or under exposing your image inadvertently. First, however, let's be sure we're all on the same page and define a few terms that Carl mentioned in his question. So what is dynamic range? 
Well, basically, dynamic range is the difference in luminance between the highlights and shadows of a scene. So the dynamic range of your camera is a measure of how effective your camera sensor is at reproducing the highlights and shadow areas of a scene without losing any pixel information at either end. If the highlights and or shadow areas of your scene fall outside of the dynamic range of your camera sensor, then the sensor is going to record that luminance information as pure white or pure black, and any details from those pixels won't be recoverable in post-processing. So in photography lingo, this is sometimes called clipping the highlights or crushing the shadows. Dynamic range is measured in stops of light, and most current-day digital cameras have a dynamic range of about 10 to 15 stops of light. By comparison, the dynamic range we actually perceive through our eyes is closer to 25 to 30 stops of light. And this is because our eyes have the ability to sense around 10 stops of light at any given moment. And when we look at a scene with lots of contrast between the highlights and shadows, our eyes have the ability to quickly adjust to the bright and dark areas. And then our brains combine all of that information into the final picture in our mind's eye of what we think we're seeing. And it's this combined image that our brains create that gets us closer to that 30 stops of light. So you may be wondering, what is a stop of light and why does it have such a bizarre name? Well, to understand this better, we need to go back to the old days for a moment and talk about how the aperture of lenses was adjusted. In the early days of photography, the diaphragm or aperture of a lens was actually adjusted manually by inserting little metal discs of various sizes into the front of a lens. And each of these little discs was called a stop because it literally stopped the light from entering the lens by changing the area of the opening of the diaphragm. Each of these stops was designed to either double or halve the amount of light that entered the lens, depending on whether the stop was removed or added. And so the word quote-unquote stop has just stuck and we now use it in our photography vernacular today. So stops of light change the intensity of light hitting the sensor by powers of two. So if you increase your exposure by one stop of light, this will double the amount of light exposing your sensor. And likewise, if you decrease your exposure by one stop of light, you will have the amount of light hitting your sensor. So what does this have to do with dynamic range? Well, dynamic range is measured in stops of light. So let's say you have a camera with a dynamic range of one stop of light. This would mean that the sensor could reproduce a scene where the highlights were twice as bright as the shadow areas without losing any information. And for a camera that has a dynamic range of, say, 12 stops, like many of the cameras we have today, this means it can record and reproduce highlights that are 2 to the 12th times or about 4,000 times as bright as the shadows, which seems like a lot, although still not as good as what our eyes and brains can do. So a high dynamic range scene simply means that there are many stops of light difference between the brightest highlights and the darkest shadows. Okie dokie. So hopefully that didn't make things more confusing. Let's now move on to how do we deal with it? So I'm going to give you five tips to help you optimize your exposure for these types of situations. So number one is to use raw format instead of JPEGs. 
raw format files are what's called lossless files. And so they record all of the dynamic range that your camera sensor is capable of. Whereas JPEGs are a lossy file format, which means that the camera does some in-camera processing of the file in order to create the JPEG image. And this reduces the file size by getting rid of some of the pixel information. So it's best to shoot in RAW and then use a RAW converting software like Adobe Lightroom to then edit your images. The next tip is to use the lowest ISO you can get away with. And we'll talk more about uh, exposure settings in a moment. But for many cameras, the dynamic range decreases as the ISO increases. So unless, of course, it's an ISO invariant camera, in which case it doesn't apply. But just to be safe, it's in your favor to use a lower ISO setting if you can. So for tip number three, we'll go back to Carl's question where he mentioned ETTR, which stands for exposed to the right. And what this means is that when you set your exposure settings of aperture, shutter speed, and ISO, your goal is to slightly overexpose the image so that the luminosity curve of the histogram favors the right-hand side of the graph, which represents the highlights. And I think it's a good practice to check your histogram for exposure anyway, because it's much more accurate than your internal camera's metering system. And maybe we'll make that a topic for another time. Anyway, when you use ETTR, you still want to be sure that you don't overexpose to the point that you clip the highlights. You want the curve to be near, but not touching the right-hand side of the histogram. The purpose for using ETTR in high dynamic range scenes, or at any time, really, is because the details in the highlights are a little easier to restore, unless, of course, they're clipped, than details in the shadow areas. So generally, you'll tend to get a cleaner image if you darken the highlights rather than brighten the shadows, which will often result in more noise. Okay, so if you want to be sure that you're capturing your shadow detail in a high dynamic range scene, then using ETTR is a good idea. However, depending on how bright your highlights are, this might not be possible because you may not be able to avoid clipping them. So this scenario brings us to tip number four, which is to use graduated neutral density filters, also known as GRAD-NDs or GNDs. Now, Carl asked about using ND filters or neutral density filters, which are different from grad NDs. And I went into a whole lot of detail about photography filters, including these two kinds, back in episode two. So be sure to listen to that if you want to learn more about filters. In brief, half of the glass of a graduated ND filter is darkened, kind of like sunglasses, so that it blocks a certain number of stops of light. So, for example, a three stop grad ND filter will block three stops of light in the shaded area of the filter compared to the non-shaded area. And what this allows you to do is block some of the light coming from the highlights in the scene by three stops. And GNDs work great for sunrise or sunset images where the sky is brighter than the foreground and you don't have a lot of things interrupting the horizon. To determine what number of stops GND you need, I recommend doing the following. So First, use a tripod in order to keep your framing consistent. Second, set your exposure mode to aperture priority and choose an aperture that's appropriate for your scene. Third, use spot metering and move your focus point to the highlights to allow the camera to meter the highlights and determine your shutter speed in ISO and make a note of these settings. 
Then do the same to meter the shadow areas and note the shutter speed and ISO settings in that situation. The difference in exposure values between the two metered measurements will be how many stops the grad ND filter ideally should be in order to capture the dynamic range of the scene. Then you can set up your shot using the grad ND, and with the grad ND on, you can then switch to matrix metering mode and adjust the exposure as you normally would. And be sure to check the histogram to make sure you're not clipping the highlights or crushing the shadows. Now, some of you may say that a grad ND is not necessary these days because we can apply the effect digitally and post-processing. And while that's true, if your scene has so much dynamic range that you've clipped your highlights when you're out in the field, then when you get home, you're going to be kind of SOL because the camera will reproduce those pixels as pure white and no details will be recoverable. Okay, so on to tip number five. What do you do for high dynamic range scenes that aren't conducive to using a grad ND? Like, for example, you're photographing a, a sun star coming around a backlit tree. In this sort of situation, bracketing and blending the images in post-processing is your best bet. So to create a bracketed exposure image, I recommend doing the following. One, set your metering mode to matrix metering and using manual mode or aperture priority mode, establish your exposure settings for a base image that represents the midtones. Next, take a series of three to seven images where you underexpose the image by a given number of stops or a fraction of a stop to capture the highlights and then do the same number of overexposed images to capture the shadows. So for example, a three image bracket could be one image underexposed by one stop, one image as the base image, and one image overexposed by one stop. And some cameras have bracketing functions built in and you just need to indicate how many images you want and what the increment and stops should be and the camera combines the final file for you. However, if you wanna have the most control over this process, I would just keep them as separate raw files and then combine them in post-processing yourself. And programs like Adobe Bridge and Lightroom have decent functions for this purpose or you could manually blend the images using masking in Photoshop. And then there are other options like programs like Aurora HDR and Photomatics that are also excellent at blending HDR images. One thing to note about creating exposure blended images like this is that since you're likely changing the shutter speed to adjust the exposure values, the bracketed technique is less useful for scenes that have moving subjects like the ocean, or if it's windy and the trees or leaves are moving around. So it's just something to keep in mind. And lastly, I encourage you to experiment with your camera and learn to see just how far you can push it before it clips the highlights and crushes the shadows. You may be surprised that you can actually recover quite a bit in post-processing with minimal loss of quality with the incredible dynamic range of digital cameras these days, especially if it's not an image that you're going to enlarge for printing and maybe just share on social media. For example, I was able to create an image of the Milky Way in the background of a campfire scene using a single frame with a Nikon D5500, which is an older entry-level DSLR. Now, I admit there is a lot of noise in the sky in this image and it's not the highest quality, but it was still interesting to discover that I could expose for both the stars and the fire in a single frame. All right, thanks very much for sharing a little part of your day with me. I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. 
All the links and relevant information that I mentioned today will be found in the show notes at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash episode 24. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to show your support, the best ways to do that are to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, to share it with others, or buy me a coffee through the link in the episode description. This kind of works like a podcast tip jar, and it helps me to cover the cost of producing the show. I'm so grateful to all of you who have supported the podcast so far. I really could not be doing this without you. So thank you. And I just want to let you know, there is just a little bit of time left to register for my Compose with Clarity live virtual workshop, which is going to be held on September 21st and again on September 28th to accommodate schedules. And in this workshop, you'll learn how to effectively use compositional elements like light, contrast, shapes, colors, lines, and things like that to create meaningful and impactful images that are uniquely yours. We'll talk about different compositional arrangements and how to use them based on how our brains work to perceive visual information. So if you're feeling stuck and you want to elevate your approach to composition, then I hope you will join us. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you 15% off the registration when you go to the special link composewithclarity.com to register. There you'll get more details about the workshop. You'll be able to see what other students had to say and also get the 15% discount. So again, go to composewithclarity.com to learn more and I hope you check it out. And finally, next week on the podcast, we're sitting down with Vancouver-based landscape photographer, Karen Cooper, to chat about what it's like owning her own gallery, her commitment to environmental preservation, and how she uses her photography as a way of connecting others to nature. And shortly after that, we'll have Scotland-based landscape photographer Alistair Benn on the show to talk about expressive photography, his luminosity and contrast theory, cultivating a creative mindset, and a whole lot more. And so until we meet again, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care. <laughs>